Let's continue where we started last week, and we're going to end this week in a two-part message series on being refreshed or being a refresher. We're looking at the book of Philemon. This is one of many books of the Bible that we're going to study throughout this next year because I just feel convicted that we have forgotten a lot of the Bible. Well, neglected it. I call it the forgotten series of the Bible. These are the small books of the Bible that we don't go to very often. We have our faves. We go to our faves a lot. But what about those little vignettes that are out there, those nuggets of truth that we might miss if we do not go through them. And one of those we did last week, and again, all in a matter of a week, two weeks, we're going to finish it up. And that's the book of Philemon. But here's what I want you to ask yourself a question. Because if you read this, you can't miss it. It's such a short, it's the shortest of Paul's letters, but it's what Philemon is identified as in this book. And it's what a person in your life or persons in your life during the seasons of your life have been to you. Here's the question. Who in your life has made the biggest encouraging impact on your life? Who has empowered you? Who has enriched your life? Who has encouraged you through storms of life? Think about that person. Maybe it's the number one person. It's the person that bubbles up to the top immediately. Write that name down. Here's what I want you to do. If that person is still alive, and maybe that person is no longer living, or maybe that person doesn't live around here, I want you to take the initiative to reach out to them and tell them what a difference they have made in your life. You might even point to a particular time. Communicate that to them. Write them a card. If that person is no longer living, I encourage you to still write them a letter. They'll never see it this side of heaven, but here it it will help you to articulate your gratefulness for what that person has done. Maybe they stood with you in a season when everybody else walks out on you. That's the person that maybe is this one word, and it's the one word that I want us all to become. It's the one word that Philemon was to Paul and to so many others. It is the word refresher. Are you a refresher? Do you know a refresher? That's the sum total of that person who's encouraged you, who's empowered you, who's equipped you, who's enriched your life. That's the sum total. Now let's, let's lay some ground rules. We talked about last week who the refresher was. This week we're going to talk about how the refresher refreshes, okay? How he does or she does what they do. But let's talk first of all about what they do or don't do, okay? Some rules out there. Number one, refreshers don't fight our battles, They stay in our corner, but they don't fight our battles. Your battle is your battle, all right? Your struggle is your struggle, whether you brought it on or it was handed to you. But what you want to have is you want to have somebody in your corner, somebody who will stand with you, pray with you, coach you, counsel you, walk with you through that season of life. And uh, the Bible speaks of this from beginning to the end of people standing with other people who, who stood with them during times of difficulty and were a refresher to them. Whenever you look at Isaiah 41 verse 6, it even says, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Now, this is a theme that you're going to see throughout the New Testament. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And then he literally tells them how he encourages them. Be strong. Hang in there. Don't quit. Stay in the fight. You need somebody in your corner. They're not going to fight your battles for you, but you need somebody there calling you out and encouraging you on. So number two is the refreshers don't make us or break us. Okay, it's not up to them to make us or break us, but they will do this. They will believe in us. They're the ones who stay in the room when everyone else leaves the room. Whenever a tragedy and everything turns upside down for you in your life, they're the person who's still there for you. 
Now that right there might have eliminated about half the people in your life. That might have eliminated three quarters of the people in your life. So when you're thinking about who's the refresher in your life, when you're thinking about, am I a refresher? Think about this. Who have I bailed on? Who have I turned coat on? Who have I abandoned? I don't want to do that. I, I want to be a refresher kind of person, a person who breathes life into other people. Moses had Aaron and her. David had Jonathan whenever he was running for his life. It was Jonathan who stuck with him. John Mark had Barnabas. When Paul gave up on John Mark, Barnabas stood up for John Mark. Paul had a guy named Philemon, the guy that we're referring to today. So find in your Bibles the book of Philemon. We'll be there in a moment. It's the smallest of all Paul's letters, shortest written letter, and you can blink and you will miss it. We talked last week about the who in the first seven verses, and you cannot miss the who. Whenever he says this about Philemon, he says, my brother, speaking singular to Philemon. Now he writes in the very first verses, he writes and he refers to other people, but this is a personal letter. Personal letter to Philemon. My brother, because the hearts of the saints, plural, have been refreshed through you. The hearts of other people, many people, through one person, many people, have been refreshed. That's what we want. I want to be a refresher. Hopefully you want to be a refresher because I can tell you this, you are a refresher. When you are a refresher, you are acting like Jesus. Jesus uses this same Greek word in Matthew chapter 11 whenever he talks about all you who are weary and heavy laden, bring your burdens to me and I will give you rest. That Greek word rest or English word that we translate rest is the same Greek word refresh. So he said, listen, I will refresh you when you bring your burdens to me. Philemon was one of those people. Paul had knew other people who were like this. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians using the same word. They refreshed my spirit as well as yours. This is in the, the, the city of Corinth where it was a hot mess. And then notice what he says. He named him by name prior to these, to these words that I'm reading from you. And then what does he say? Give recognition to such people. That's why I'm challenging you to think of the refresher in your life, the number one refresher, and you need to recognize them. You need to honor them and tell them the difference that they have made in your life that have kept you going when you felt like giving up. Whenever you look at this passage, you've got to ask, what, again, who is this guy? What makes him up? How is the being before the doing? Well, when you understand the secret sauce behind Philemon in his life, it makes a lot better sense. Verse 4 and verse 5, we studied it last week. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith. Those are the two secret ingredients to what made the difference in Philemon. He had a deep love, a love that would go through any storm and would never give up on somebody. It wasn't an if love or because of love. It was a deep love. And he had a broad faith. It touched not just himself and it wasn't just belief in God. It was belief in others and he reached out. Now, we're going to introduce a new character today. A new character in this brief, ever, very brief book of the Bible. It's a guy by the name of Onesimus. And again, Paul's writing from Rome. He's writing back to Colossae where Philemon is living. And he's writing really the heart of the story. The heart of the, the letter is about a guy named Onesimus. Now, who is this dude? This guy is a person who used to work for Philemon. 
Now, he was a slave. Now, when I say slave, immediately we think 1800s, right? We think 1900s. We think about, about slave trade and trafficking racism, and we think about that. Think not about that form of slavery, okay? That is a horrible, horrific kind of slavery. The kind of slavery in the first century was not beautiful, but it wasn't quite as racist focused. It was more retaliate. It was more, uh, uh, of restitution. If you had done something wrong to me until there is restitution of that wrong, then you owe me. So pretty much Philemon, I don't know, borrowed money. I don't know. We don't have any clue what, uh, what Onesimus did, but Onesimus owed Philemon, but he skips town. He goes default on his loan. Whatever the debt was, he didn't pay it. And he became a fugitive, if you will. But see, this is what the scripture has talked about for years and years and years. That debt is a form of slavery. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. says, the borrower is the slave of the lender. All right? So think about Onesimus. He was a slave to Philemon. Did he borrow? I don't know. Listen, it's not far from us, right? Some of us today are a slave to Arvest Bank. Some of us are a slave to our credit cards. We're a slave. We don't get them go to work in the morning because we want to go to work. We get them go to work in the morning because we got bills to pay, right? We're all, well, I won't say all of us, but there are many who are one paycheck away from bankruptcy because they owe so much. So what are we? We're a slave to the lender. So in, in some degree, Onesimus, we're not far from Onesimus, Right? Except Onesimus skips town and didn't pay his bills. Somehow didn't pay what he owed to Philemon. And so when he skips town, what does he do? He runs across from Colossae to the port city of probably Ephesus, gets on a boat, goes across the Aegean Sea, crosses the land of Greece, crosses the, uh, the Adriatic Sea, ends up in Rome, Italy. Thinks he can hide in the big city of Rome. But what happens is you can run, but you can't hide from God. God puts in the life of Onesimus, we don't know how, it was in prison, I don't know, it was on the streets, I don't know, they run into each other, but Paul meets Onesimus and Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus and Onesimus becomes a believer. And that's the story that we enter into. When Onesimus, or when Paul writes back to Philemon, back in Colossae, he writes back to him and says, hey, this guy, this runaway, this debt that that owed you, he He's coming back. Some say he even carried the letter himself. Can you imagine the sweaty palms he had when he walks up to Philemon with this letter from Paul? You know, is he going to cut my head off before he reads the letter or after he reads the letter? You know, what's, what's he going to do? Is he going to give me, you know, retaliation for this? I don't know. So he's, he's dealing with this tension. So I just tell, I tell you this, to enter into the tension of what's going on in Onesimus, what's going on with Paul, what's going on with Philemon. And so this is what Paul says. If you've got your Bibles in Philemon, this is what he says in verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough, and we know Paul's bold enough, he many times asserts his apostleship and saying, listen, you need to do X, Y, and Z because I am the apostle of, of the Lord. He says, I am bold enough in Christ to command you what is required. I have all the authority that I need. I can point to the scriptures and I can tell you, you need to do this. But that's not how he does it. He said in verse nine, yet for love's sake, 
What was the thing about, what was the secret sauce that made up the great man of Philemon? It was his faith and it was his love. He appeals to his love. It's for the sake of love. I prefer to appeal to you. I'm coming out of a heart of love. You are a person of love. Let's talk about this on a love relational level. And then he says, he has to throw this in here. I, Paul, an old man. Now, what's an old man? Well, I had to look that up because I wanted to see if I was in that camp. Hippocrates used this same Greek word. Hippocrates was the doctor of the modern, uh, the, the Hippocratic Oath is named after Hippocrates. He, was, he actually uses the same word in his writings to refer to people who are age 49 to 56. So if you're in that age category, you are officially biblically old, okay? That is me. I'm in that category. And according to the scriptures, I am old. So Paul is somewhere in that age range and he is old and he is uh, telling you I, out of love and out of my years of leadership, listen to this. And then what he does next is he appeals to them. He calls on him. And here's what I want us to answer this question. How can I be like Philemon? How can I be like Paul? where I refresh people around me. I don't drag them down, beat them down. I don't light up a room when I leave the room. I, don't, I bring hope to a circumstance. I bring light to darkness. How can I be like Philemon? There are ways of refreshing others. And so let's look at this passage and, and begin, to, to begin to break it down. So three ways of refreshing. Number one is you've got to be willing to step into the mess. You've got to be willing to step into the mess. Whenever you look at this, you have to think about Philemon and the, the friendship that he had and Onesimus that he had with, with Paul you have to think about these two together and you think about our, our relationships today. People business is messy business. There's emotions, there's wounds. There's wounds from the past, there's wounds in the present. And I tell you what, it's really hard sometimes to do relationships. But when you look at this, you, you find how to do relationships. I think we struggle with relationships in our own culture because of that very thing. I had a professor in seminary who said this. He said, people are both hungry for relationships and yet at the same time, they're ill-prepared for the cost involved. It is a culture in which casual relationships are contractu- or contractual relationships are the norm. It is difficult to build relationships on deep foundations that can survive disagreements and disappointments. People are more prone to walk away when the going becomes difficult than to work through a crisis to the point that there is a new depth of understanding is reached. It is a lot easier to quit this relationship, quit that relationship, move on, leave that person behind. In reality, what we're going to have to have is deep relationships that go through crisis, that go through hard times, that approach things with humility. Paul and Philemon were going to have to deal with the mess of Onesimus. He was a debt. He was a dodger. He, he didn't face what he owes. And he is having to... Uh, there, 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 are some, there are some issues here. The problem is, is I think we sometimes, as followers of Christ, struggle with this because we 
don't have a lot of messy people in our life. I'm speaking to the church today. I'm speaking to those who are part of the church, those who are followers of Christ. In reality, only about seven to nine friends will, will we have or relatives will we have that are far from God. Okay? And what's sad is the longer you become a Christian or the longer you are a Christian, the fewer and fewer unbelieving friends that you will have or relatives you will have in your life. The newer the Christian, about 12 is the average. And about, the older the Christian is, is about four. And the problem is, is that the longer you become a Christian, the more and more we segregate ourselves from those who are far from God. Now, that could be that we're winning our friends and family members to Jesus, or it could be that we're just separating ourselves because we're afraid to enter in to the mess. You'll see in a moment where Paul enters into the mess. There's a disease in the church today. Now, this is my definition of a disease in the church. It's the CBT disease. I don't know if you have it. It's the Christian bubble trouble. And Christians kind of tend to isolate themselves and they get into their little bubble and they just kind of wholly huddle it together. Us four no more shut the door. And I've got my little holy huddle. Maybe it's a communitas group. Maybe it's my friends. Maybe it's the people I exercise with. Maybe it's the people I, I run with, hang with, whatever, the work with. And I get my little holy huddle together and I forget that there's a whole world of brokenness beyond me. And you know you're suffering from CBT whenever you no longer have lost conversations with people who are far from God. Another study I read this week that a typical Christian cannot name three non-Christians that they've had a meal with in the past six months. That's scary to me. When's the last time you sat down with somebody, you were deep enough in a relationship that they were far from God and you would spend time with them. Do you suffer from CBT? Because it's a very real issue. But the thing is, you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't suffer from CBT at all. In fact, he's always sitting down to meals with tax collectors and sinners. He didn't have a problem going to their homes. He didn't have a problem hanging out with them. In fact, he would get with those people that were sick. In fact, he said he came to be with the sick in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Well, so when we talk about around here living sent, we're talking about living sent to the world that is far from God. I need to be willing to enter into the mess of life. So Onesimus comes. Let's go back to our story now. Onesimus comes to, to Paul. Somehow there's an interaction. Somehow there's this exchange. Somehow Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. Now notice now back in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you. It's the second time he used the word appeal. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. What's the deal here? And then he goes on and says, whose father... I became in my imprisonment. So he didn't have an illegitimate child out there. He actually had a very spiritual legitimate child. That he entered into a fugitive. He entered into a dead infested. One person even called it a barbarian that I read this past week. Calls him a barbarian. That he enters into this barbarian's life and he embraces him. He embraces the person beyond the mess. How willing are you to get into somebody's life and to be able to share with them to the point that you're able to share the gospel of Christ with them? If you're not willing to get into the mess of an Onesimus or barbarian thief, then you're probably not there yet. You're probably not fully a refresher until you're willing to get messy. 
and to get into the mess of the people's lives. Look at verse 11. It kind of gives a parenthetical statement. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And ironically, Onesimus means useful. His name means useful, but formerly he was useless. Now he is useful not only to you, but also to me. You see what happens whenever we get into the mess of people's lives? We can literally be a part of changing their story. We can literally be a part of entering into their mess, helping them find their way out, helping them to find a better road, and they become family to us. They become, they belong to us. We belong to them. We are, we, we become one with them. See, when a refresher will look at people and they will say, God is at work and I want to be a part of this. God is working and I am going to join him. I was convicted this past week because of somebody in my life that's far from God that really I'm tired of their dumpster fires. I'm tired of their brokenness. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired of it. And I would rather just kind of move on. You know, kind of emotional draining. But I know that really what, what, what they're going through is really just the evidence of a person far from God. And so this is what God convicted me of. It was as if he was yelling it at me as a stern father would. It's not my goal for you to be comfortable, Mike. It's my goal for you to get into his mess and to help him out. And so I have a renewed calling to my friend who's far from God. But that means I'm going to have to be willing to deal with the messiness of his brokenness. What about you? Are you willing to enter into people's mess or do you want them all cleaned up before they come into your life? Because if you're that, then they don't need refreshers. They don't need people like Philemon's. They don't need people like Paul's. Number two is you must be willing to connect at a heart level. I want you to notice this about Paul. Paul does something very honorable here. He knew that Onesimus owed Philemon. And he calls him to go back and to settle up, make things right, get things right with Philemon. When you enter into a one another relationship, which is one of our key values around here, we exist to promote transformative community with one another because transformative community is very powerful. You're going to have to be willing to open up your heart into this. Now, this whole one another phrase that we read earlier from Isaiah, we read 50 plus times in the New Testament, is a common theme. And I think it's really the best definition of what a biblical community looks like. That's what a biblical marriage looks like. Study the one another's. You want to improve your marriage? Study and live the one another's. You want a better relationship? Study and live the one another's. What do we have around here? We want to talk about promoting transformative community with one another's. It's a key phrase. In fact, when you look at the 50 plus times it mentions one another's, it's going to talk about forgiving one another. It's going to talk about confessing your sins to one another. It's going to really talk about bringing you closer together. Okay? But I'm also going to say no less than 14 times to love one another. See, real one another relationships will be when I love well. Love well. Okay? But it also, the second most mentioned one another in the scriptures is we are told to encourage one another. So if I will love well and I will encourage often, and if I just do those two things in my one another relationships, 
Love well, encourage often. And if I just do those, because the scripture talks about in Hebrews 3.13, he talks about encourage each other daily. How often should I encourage you? Every, every day. And in case you didn't know, today's the day. So you need to encourage somebody today. All right. It also tells us that we ought not quit assembling together with one another because we bring encouragement in Hebrews chapter 10. It talks about encouraging one another. So a part of doing one another's is loving well and encouraging them often and well. That's what we find with Paul and Onesimus. And that's what Paul encourages Philemon, appeals to him in love to do the same thing. If you notice here what he says in verse 13, he says, I would have been glad to keep him with me. He sends him back. Sends him back to Philemon. So imagine, he's crossing the Adriatic Sea, he's crossing Greece, he's crossing a GNC, he's now crossing back into Turkey, modern day Turkey, he's now making his way to Colossae, he's carrying this letter, and he opens this letter, and he reads this letter. I wish I could have kept Onesimus, in order that I might, he might serve me on your behalf during the imprisonment, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent. He owed you, he didn't owe me without your consent, in order that the goodness might not be a compulsion, but of your own accord. So I'm not going to impose myself on him. I'm not just going to keep him. I'm not just going to usurp my authority. I'm going to send him back to you. But here's what I want you to not miss is verse 12. When he sends him back, it's like sending a part of himself. Verse 12, I'm sending him back to you and I'm sending my very heart. We are really, listen, really good at surface Facebook, Instagram, quick relationships over a cup of coffee. But you want to talk about real relationships that really refresh? You go to a heart level. You enter into a heart-level conversation with what's going on, the hurts, the wounds, the hang-ups that's going on in people's lives, and you will talk about refreshing people to the depths of their very being. That is a refreshing kind of relationship. A refresher is one who opens up themselves to other people so that their lives can be refreshed, and they end up refreshing others. I thought about my list of refreshers in my life. And I went literally through the the span of my growing up. I thought about coaches that pulled me aside in the hallway and said they believed in me right in the time when I was deciding to go to drugs or I was going to go to sport. It was a coach who stepped in my life and said, I believe in you. I see something in you. I can tell you about this pastor and this this friend. But I can also tell you about two men. One of them is a member of our church. His name is Tom. Tom Jones. He comes to the first gathering, sits in the back corner right there, helps out on our baptism team. And Tom Jones was my seventh grade, as best I can remember, maybe eighth grade Sunday school teacher. And he just was, he was starting his own family, but Tom opened his heart to me, opened his life. If you know Tom, Tom doesn't say 10 words in a day, maybe. But he was a teacher who opened up himself. Okay? I can tell you about another guy named Buddy Dyer. Buddy's gone to be with Jesus now. And, but I can tell you about Buddy. Again, electrician, simple, 
hardworking, blue-collar guy, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. But I can tell you stories about whenever he would pour into us fifth or sixth graders and how he made a difference in our life at a very young age. And to this day, I point back to Buddy, I point back to Tom, I say, these guys made a difference in me. Okay, maybe it was only for a year, but it was for a year. And I can now today point back and say that those guys made a difference. Now, here's what I want you to realize is you never know where that's going to lead you because Tom is now a part of our church. I never thought I'd pastor my Sunday school teacher, but he brought his two boys with him and their families. And so now to some degree, I'm pouring into Tom and his wife, Kathy, and his two boys and their kids. And so it's gone full circle. And what's cool Buddy Dyer is now gone to be with Jesus, but his granddaughter is Andrew Brown's wife, Stephanie Brown, and she's a part of our church. And they have their little daughter, Ellis, who I love to death, may steal her myself one day and take her and make her my own. But the point is this. Is Tom and Buddy had no clue that they were going to pour into me and that I would become a pastor of their grandkids and great-grandkids. You don't know whenever you open your life up to somebody as a sixth grader, as a small group leader, those of you just came out of We World and those of you just came out of, uh, 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 of our elementary kid ministry and our preteen, you don't know, you don't know how that your life in them, they might turn around and pastor your grandkids one day. I challenge you, if you've not opened yourself up Make yourself available to the next generation. How are you impacting the next generation? Paul was pouring in to Onesimus. He was asking Philemon, do the same. I'm sending him back to you. My heart is going back to you. And you think, Mike, I, I, I'd be interested. Here, you email me. Here, it's really easy. You just email me directly, Mike at Grace Point Church. And all you have to do is put in the subject line, next generation. I'm open up, Mike. I'm ready to be a servant to the next generation. This is not a cattle call. This is for those who want to make a difference in the next generation. Number three, we're going to make a difference and be a refresher to people. We've got to believe in persons that God is making. Oh, by the way, let me say this. In the room, I think this hour, I don't see her right now, but is Leslie Logan who for 40 years, every year without fail, has been teaching young children. She is now in our church teaching the children of the children that she taught growing up. That is making a difference in the next generation. And you don't know where they're going to go. In the faithfulness of that, God is honored. People's lives are changed. Lives are refreshed. And by the way, let me just say this. Those of you getting baptized right now, you can stand up and go out through that door right over there and head that way. And as you see these people in a few moments baptized, you're going to hear stories of mothers and fathers leading their children, of small group leaders leading their children. We saw last hour, uh, we saw uh, a a, a couple that uh, has given their life to Christ in the, in the past few days because of their communitas group leaders making a difference in them. Here's the thing. If you're a refresher, it's because you're going to believe in persons that God is making. The person that God is making of them. You stepped into their mess, you connected with them on a heart level, and you believe God is at work. Verse 17, Paul said this to Philemon, consider me your partner. 
It's the word koinonia here. Consider me in the same fellowship, in the same boat as you. We are partners in this together. What's the partnership? Our partnership is Onesimus. We want to see Onesimus' life changed. We want to see God at work in Onesimus. I was a part of bringing Onesimus to Christ. I'm sending him back to you that you will invest in him now. See, Paul was the evangelist, but he's calling on Philemon to be the discipler. Where does that go? The thing is, is we don't know where it goes. It kind of just ends there. But notice how Paul points out what he's done. I've invested my reputation. He says, I receive, you receive him, you're like receiving me. He invests his resources. He he said, hey, listen, if there's a debt that he owes, put it on my tab. He invested his time. Paul's writing this letter to Philemon to give an endorsement for this man, Onesimus. So Paul is all in with himself in Onesimus. And he's asking him, are you going to be a partner with me in helping Onesimus become the man of God that God wants him to become? That's what a refresher does. He sees the bigger picture. Where did Onesimus come? What did he do? The thing is, we have to close our Bibles now because we have no clue from Scripture what happened to Onesimus. We don't know what Philemon did or said or whatever, but what do we know? We have to go to extra-biblical writings out there. We have to go to extra texts out there to kind of speculate what might have happened. Again, let me review. Who's Philemon? He is the bishop of the church. He's the elder of the church. Where? Of Colossae. About 150 miles from Colossae is the city of Ephesus. In 115 AD, there is a, a note that is written by Ignatius of Antioch, Antioch of Syria. Ignatius of Antioch writes a letter to the bishop of Ephesus, whose name, listen to this, was Onesimus. Who knows if it was the same Onesimus? But let's speculate for a moment. Because Philemon received him, maybe this is what happened. Because Philemon received him, embraced him, entered into the mess, believed in him, connected his heart to him. The bishop of Colossae in the next generation developed the bishop of Ephesus. Wouldn't that be a beautiful story of redemption? God is going to do incredible things when people step up and say, I am going to be a Philemon. I'm going to be a refresher in the next generation forward. Would you bow your heads with me? I ask you in the beginning, who has refreshed you? I want to ask you today, who are you refreshing? Who are you entering into their mess? Who are you opening up yourself to so that your heart and their heart are connected? Who are you believing God is doing a work in? And you are partnering with others to see the work of God become reality in them. Please, please, 
please identify somebody, identify a small group, identify a preschool class, identify a student, identify a coworker, identify a small group, identify somebody somewhere where you are being the light of Christ in them. And if you're here today and you say, Mike, I have, I'm like Onesimus, I'm a dumpster fire over here. I'm useless and I want to become useful. Here's my challenge to you. Give yourself to Jesus. You know, I don't know how to do that. Here's my challenge to you. Meet me by, by this far door over on my side. I'll be hanging out over there. Meet me there. To my left, meet me there. Let's talk about what it means to be a Christ follower. I'm going to pray and we're going to begin to see God's stories unfold. Father God, we see and know you are at work. And you're trying to make people who refresh other people, who lift loads, who breathe life, who offer hope, who bring peace in the midst of storms. Thank you for the Philemons and thank you for the, thank you for the, the Pauls. Thank you for these, these people who believe and invest in other people. Lord, now make me one of them. Don't let me be a consumer of the religious faith. But may even as I watch and hear and see the stories of salvation, may I even look where I live, work, learn, and play and see where I can be and share the hope of Christ. Lord, encourage us today as we hear the stories of your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen.